Well, we certainly need to be in prayer for Ashley and Jeannie and Amelia and Ashton as uh, this unfolds. As we watch God grow and test Ashley, there's a unique dynamic that he has in his life. He has to get up here and tell you about the goodness of Jesus when he wonders about it himself. And so you have to grow. And God takes us through these things, and so we'll be praying for them. I hope you join in praying for them, um, especially that that visa gets approved uh, this um, quickly before the 13th. Thank you for those of you that are in the overflow. I I like to thank you each week because it's an act of love when you choose one Sunday a month to go out and sit in the overflow. We've been noticing our numbers starting to rise and rise since the fall, and uh, we anticipate that Christmas will be, uh, which it typically is, a fuller time. And so we have the overflow. And thank you for those of you that are uh, serving others by taking your turn out there. We next week will be opening up, making it a little bit bigger, using the library cafe and putting chairs in there. Some people have asked me, why don't we just go up into the chapel until we get a critical mass where the chapel becomes a place where you can worship because you're not like three people in this huge room, uh, that we will then move up there and then get the sound changes that we need to do. Or COVID ends and we're all back together. So uh, either one will be fine by me. Uh, When I was um, in seminary, so we're talking a few years ago, uh, Dr. Kenneth Cooper came to speak Now, you might not remember or know his name. Uh, He was a cutting-edge doctor. He was a follower of Jesus. And he wrote the book, Fit or Fat, which some of you may recognize quite a few years ago. But he was doing research on medical research on people. And he was a a voice. He was a front-runner in research of the impact that our lifestyle was having on us. And so he had completed his research and was now uh, spreading his message. And here was his message because he came, I remember it, he came to one of our chapels at seminary and he said, I, if you would just listen to me, I could increase your life expectancy by 10 years. Now remember, he's speaking to 20 year olds. I could, I could incre- you could have 10 more years of effective ministry plus better ministry while you're getting to the going through ministry because if you just were careful and wise about your diet, your exercise, and your sleep, you would extend your life expectancy. And he had all the research behind it. Well, how you live in your 20s affects how your health is in your 30s. And how you live in your 20s and 30s affects your health in your 40s. And how you live in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s affects your health in your 50s. And of course, how you live in your 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s affects your health and your body when you're in your 60s and in your 70s. And he said, if we would just make good choice, and he was weeping. That's why I remember this chapel. A doctor, a professional who was at the top of research is weeping just if you would just 
pay attention, I could increase your life expectancy. You wouldn't have to deal with the heart disease and the cardiovascular issues, issues and obesity that, that is, is rampant in our, in, in our culture. And you could have a better life while you're living it, but longer for God if you would just... And he was weeping. And I'm like, there weren't many speakers that came and wept about their message. That was 30 years ago. I lived a few decades since then. Do you know what? He was right. The decisions I made in my 20s, in my 30s, in my 40s are affecting my health, my well-being, my body today. Of course, there are some things about our health we can't control. We all know that. But that doesn't mean there isn't things we can control. And I kind of now wish I listened a little better. That the decisions I made then affect me today, 30 years later. Now this is exactly what Jesus is doing in the passage that we're going to look at in this Sermon on the Mount. This section of his sermon. Remember, Jesus started uh, by calling us to be salt and light. To be uh, those that preserve a knowledge of God. And, and so we're salt. And we're light by pointing people to God in our culture. And he said, well, how do you do that? And he said, well, you obey me. Obey my commands. And, and as you love me and obey me, when, when you obey me, people will see me. So when we obey Jesus, people see Jesus. Now he's wrapping up his sermon. There's kind of a double um, conclusion here. I don't know many preachers that have a double conclusion, but he does. And he starts in uh, chapter 7, verse 13, with a metaphor. Now watch the pairings in his metaphor. Verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to where? Destruction. And many enter through that gate and go on to the road, that broad and easy road. But contrast here's the opposite pair small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to what life but only a few find it now i've been in jerusalem and i've seen some of the walls that jesus would have been talking about and there are many gates in jerusalem it's a much bigger city now than when jesus was there but there's some of the walls that were there at his time are still there. And there are some massive gates and these broad thoroughways go through them and people flock in and out. And when they want to leave the city, many people go through these wide gates and the roads are well-developed and they're easy to travel. But there are also smaller gates that go off in different directions and they, they're narrow and they're not as well-traveled and they're not easily traveled because they're harder and less people use them. That's why there's a narrow gate. 
Now, what Jesus is talking about, he's illustrating a spiritual principle. And what we need to understand is the gate we choose to walk through determines the road we walk on. And there's an easy road and a hard road. And the easy road appeals to us in the flesh. It it's, it's meets our desires and, and it keeps us feeling okay in our lifestyle and in our culture. And, and it's easy to get along with people when we walk this road, the easy road. And many are on that, says Jesus. Because by default to our nature and to our world system and to the supernatural working of the demonic powers in our world, that's the road we want to go on because it's easy but there's a hard road a narrow road a, a road that's difficult that's bumpy that's hard to climb at time and and Jesus says this is the road that I'm calling you to go through the narrow gate where few people travel and you go out on that road that's what it's like to obey me in this culture. The the many people are going to go on the easy road and that's not the road I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to a hard road, a road that's uncomfortable and painful and difficult at times. That's the road I'm calling you to. And it's always, always been easier to travel the broad road. Now you may not even realize that we live in a very consumeristic culture, and you go, of course I know that, look at Christmas. But that consumerism, that mindset, comes right into us. Just evaluate yourself a little bit. When you come to church, and you leave this worship time, was it about, were you looking for what you wanted, and what you liked, or were you coming to give to God praise and worship to him? Which attitude's in your heart? I would never know by looking at you. Is church about, I'll come, Ed, and you fill me up, and you make me holy, and you make me know Jesus, and then I'll go out and I'll come back next week and do the same? Or is church a place where you come, I want to know Jesus. Show me Jesus. I'm after you. Which attitude is yours? Am I responsible for your spiritual well-being or are you responsible? See, a consumeristic mindset says it worships ease and avoids discomfort. And it's not just out in the world, it's here. I don't want to do the things that I have to do in order to be spiritually mature. I don't want to engage in worship. If you can't get my attention, it's your problem. No, 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 it's really yours. If you can't preach a sermon that really thrills me, I won't come back. Well, don't come back. Because it's your life that you're hurting, not mine. If the songs aren't the ones I like, I'm finding a different different church. Go find a different church. It's you are here to be and find Jesus. And if you can't find him here, go somewhere where you can find him. Now, I'm not... I don't want you all to leave. (laughs) I want you all to come looking for Jesus. Saying, I'm here to meet him. And I'm praying for this church. 
I'm giving to this church. I'm serving. I'm looking for Jesus. I'm trying to walk with him. See, a con- that's not a consumeristic mindset. That's those who worship him in spirit and truth. But your heart, only you know. I want people to come passionate about knowing Jesus, embracing the narrow road, taking responsibility for your worship. Because it's always easier to follow the uh, wide road than the narrow road. In fact, I I wrote down... um, some things, you can tell the easy road by what we struggle with. You can tell the easy road by what we struggle with. It's easier to engage in sexual activity as an unmarried young adult than to choose holiness and celibacy until marriage. That's a problem in our world. It's a problem in our church. It's a problem for some of our people. It's easier to walk that road of sex, because our world says you deserve it. It's it's normal. It's natural. Like you have the right. And Jesus says, "No, no, narrow road. Give your life and your body to me, and reserve it for me only, and to that person you marry." It's easier to spend all I have and all I make on myself and my family than to give ten percent or more to God's work. That's the easy road. And take, like, it's not surprising we want to spend everything on ourselves. That's, that's the way our culture and our world works. But Jesus says, no, 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 the narrow road is give and be generous. Start at 10% and keep going. It's easier to affirm a gay and trans lifestyle than it is to stand on scripture. Now, let me just stop here for a second. Why would I ever say such a thing? The fact that I have to explain this tells you the pressure of our culture on those who want to follow Jesus. I don't, I don't say those kinds of things because I hate gay people. In fact, if I hated gay people, I would say nothing. Because according to scripture, all people will give account of their lives and will receive the just reward or the just consequences for their lifestyle. And so scripture says that that's a lifestyle that is a lifestyle of sin. And so if I didn't love a gay person, I just wouldn't say anything. I have three boys. I regularly, still, they're adults. The oldest is 30, youngest 25. Still today, I will bring them alongside every once in a while and say, what you're doing is wrong. Is it because I don't love them? I call them out because I do love them. I think it'd be fantastic if gay people, lesbians, trans people came here looking for something deeper than what they had, just like you and me are looking for something deeper than we have. It's not because I don't like gay people. It's because I love gay people. And I want them to know Jesus. 
And because when we give ourselves to sin, this is the truth of scripture. It doesn't matter what the sin is, sexual sin, greed, hatred, unforgiveness. Whenever we give ourselves to any sin, it draws us further from God. And that's why I bring it up. I know in our culture, that's a narrow road to speak like this. And I know that you are pressured when you go to your businesses and you go to your uh, workplaces and you're in your families. I know you get the same pressure. You get that pressure not to say anything or to start believing, well, yeah, maybe, maybe it's okay. But for the love of people, I have to speak because I know what Scripture says. And also for the love of Jesus. I mean, for me, this is a narrow road, wide road situation. I don't know if you realize that. I have incredible pressure not to say anything about this topic. Not just from people and not just from media, and, but from the demonic world that surrounds us as we worship and puts influence and thoughts into my head, making fear well up within me. I can't tell you how nervous I was today to talk about this. But Jesus said, Ed, narrow road. People might not understand. People may hate you. People may write you off. Narrow road. Narrow road. For the love of people and the love of God, walk the narrow road in. So it's always easier to walk the wide road. It's easier to sit in front of a TV at night, then engage, this one's personal. You may, I know you don't struggle with this, but I find it a lot easier to sit in front of a TV at night than to engage in service and ministry or to open my word or to open, uh, take some time for prayer. It's easier to be quiet than to make a public stand that you follow Jesus. It's easier to laugh at crude jokes than to walk away. It's easier to expect your spouse to serve you than you to serve them. Now I'm really getting too... Point it right on that one. It's easier to sleep in than get up and pray. It's always easier on the wide road. But Jesus says, I'm calling you to the narrow road of obedience. Remember, this, these words are spoken in the context of a sermon in which he's telling us how we are salt and light in our culture. And he said, you're salt and you're light by the way you live and by the way you obey me. That's how you're the salt and light in the culture. You, you obey me in the situations you face and then you become salt and light. You preserve the knowledge of God and point people to God. Now, this, this is not a new calculating time here. This is not a new issue. If you go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis 13, this same issue, four th that's about 4,000 years ago, same issue as we're facing today. Wide road, narrow road. So if you are familiar with Genesis, and even if you're not, there's a person in there called Abraham. He's the father of faith. He's a big, big guy 
in the Old Testament. Like, important. He had a nephew, Lot. And God called them out of where they were living to come to the promised land, which is modern-day Israel. And he blessed them. He said, you go and I'll bless you. And he blessed them so much so that their flocks are reproducing and they're getting huge. And now Lot, who was uh, moving about with Abram in verse 5 of chapter 13, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling rose up between Abraham's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. And so you get the picture. They just keep growing, growing. Now they're bumping. They're traveling together. They can't get the, you know, their flocks are getting intermingled. There's fighting. They're fighting for water and time. And, And finally, they have to make a choice. Abraham says to Lot, look, we got a split. We're getting too big. Whatever way you go, I'll go the other way. Now, I have stood in the spot where they're talking and make this choice. I've stood there. And you're at a high point. And if you're facing south, you look left, and you look down a valley where Ai used to be, the city, and it goes right out into the Jordan Plain. And it's a fair ways away, but you can see it clearly. And then all around you, is mountainous, hilly terrain. Lot looked around and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar, well watered, like the garden of God. You can see it. You can see the valley. And it's, even today, it's green because of the Jordan River. But back then, uh, at that time, we, we can tell that, that the land used to be far more fertile and, and productive. And so he's looking down on that whole valley and he's like, that's a pretty nice place to live. The things that mark that valley, wealth, population, that's where the people lived. It's where the crops were produced. The trade happened. An aberrant sexual activity. The narrow road, or the wide road. And Lot goes, I think I'll take the wide road. What did Jesus say about the wide road? Where does it lead? Destruction. So, Lot lives there for a while. Number of years. Abraham gets a visit. Jesus, in a pre-incarnate appearance with two powerful angels, appear to tell Abraham that the cry against that well-watered plain and the cities in it has gone up to God and he has come to the point where he is now going to bring his judgment. Abraham pleads with the Lord, save Lot, save the city that my, my nephew's in, save him, save him. There's a great text where Abraham intercedes for Lot And God sends his angels down. If I can find 10 righteous people, I won't destroy the place. Guess what? Couldn't find 10 righteous people. Verse 15. With the coming of dawn, the angels, they had gone. They stayed at lots. They were attacked sexually. 
this place is so bad that the, the gang raping is considered state-approved activity. That's how bad it will got. Aberrant sexual activity. So with the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, you got to hurry, take your wife and your two daughters. They could only get four of them that were considered righteous, who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. So the angels <laughs> grab Lot, they're running, they're trying to get him away. Uh, brimstone, fire and brimstone actually come, you know, they talk about fire and brimstone preachers. It came from this idea. Brim, raining fire comes down and destroys the cities of the plain in judgment of God. Verse 29, so when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and is the intercession, picture of Christ, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe, picture of us, and overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Now Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar, it's a city. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. It's a story 4,000 years old. And when Jesus preaches it 2,000 years ago, he's just reaffirming a truth that we should know. That sin always leads us to destruction. But when we follow God, it leads to life. But the path with God is narrow and hard and difficult. Time out for two seconds. The message of Scripture, the overwhelming, overriding message of Scripture is that we, all of us, are separated from God because of our sin. But Jesus came to this world to die in our place and meet the righteous requirements of justice and so pay for our debt of sin that we could experience the forgiveness and reconciliation and become sons and daughters of God, can be totally reconciled and restored to God. That's the message of the gospel. Each person, you, whether you're in here or online, you must make a choice. Says God, I love you. I've proven my love for you. I've died for you to deal with your sin, but you must choose. I will force nothing on anyone. You must choose whether you want this or not. It is your choice. For those that uh, uh, want to follow God, we need to do, put our faith in God. It's the a, we, you hear us talk about this, A, B, C. To admit our sin, that's confession. To admit our sin before God, yes, God, this is true of me. To believe in Jesus Christ and that his death and resurrection on the cross pays for my sin. That's faith. That his work somehow pays for my sin. And then to choose to surrender my life. See, choose to surrender my life to God. That's repentance. I'm going to stop living and believing what I used to. And now I'm going to follow Jesus. And so each one of us needs to make that choice. And I don't know if you've made that choice. But if you have not, that's the main message that scripture calls you to. Faith in Jesus. And if I were you, well, let me encourage you. Never mind if I were you. Let me encourage you. Settle that before you leave. Or settle it soon. 
Now, the other thing is that every day, once you choose to be a follower of Jesus, it's not like you walk and now you're on the narrow road and you don't have any more effort anymore in your life. To follow Jesus takes effort. Grace does not discount effort. It discounts earning. I cannot earn from God anything, but I show him my love by my effort. And now he calls us to the narrow road. And daily, sometimes multiple times a day, we're called to make a decision between the easy road and the narrow road. In fact, I had an email this week of a woman who is a leader in our church. And uh, she was just sharing, and I got her permission to use this. I won't tell your name, um, because Mary would really be upset if I did, but um, it's not Mary. She was, uh, she had, I received this email and she was in a, she was on a, with a work team when the topic of uh, indigenous, this, the indigenous catastrophe around the residential schools and the reckoning that's taking place, that whole idea came up. And one of her coworkers began to talk about the horrific stuff that the church did. And she says, I found courage to speak out. And out of my mouth came this. I am taking comfort in a God who sees all things and judges accordingly. And that this was heartbreaking as a Christian to learn about the depth of hurt and that the, ch- that the church did and that the church is filled with imperfect people as we all are. Quietness. Nobody was talking about this from the perspective of a believer. And this was a highly Toronto corporate culture. And I am now, as they say, out of the closet as a Christian. See, sometimes the narrow road is, (laughs) you need to stand up. You need to speak up. There are times when we need to be willing to walk the bumpy, uncomfortable, painful road, the narrow road, for Jesus. Because to follow him means to obey him. And obey him means we will be on a bumpy road at times. What a metaphor that he's using. Every time people that were listening to him walked out a gate would probably, oh man, what road am I on? What road am I really on? Now, I gotta move quickly through this. Now, it's, if it's not hard enough that the roads are hard and it's a challenge, but I get it, I get it. It's a challenge to walk the narrow road. It's hard, we fail, but we have a God who is able to forgive and lift us up and get us going on the road again. But that's not hard enough. Jesus adds to this, now watch out. So as you try to walk this narrow, go through the gate to the narrow road, watch out because they're going to be false prophets and they're going to come to you in sheep's clothing and inwardly they're ferocious wolves. They're going to be people who look like followers but inside they just wanted to consume and destroy. But by their fruit you'll recognize them. And then he, he, he uses this object. Do, people, do you pick grapes from a thorn bush? Well, of course you don't. Thorn bushes don't produce grapes. And grapevines don't produce thorns. 
Or do you pick figs from a thistles? No. They, by nature, a fig tree produces figs, not thistles. So likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree will bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. If, now, he's not talking about trees. Well, he is, but they're, they're illustrations. Like The heart of a person, he said this early in his sermon, the heart of a person determines the actions and words of people over time. They may be able to fool you for a short term, but long term, their true nature comes out because a tree produces the fruit that it's designed to produce, and a heart produces the works that it's designed to produce. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, judgment, and thus their fruit, you will recognize them. It's not hard enough to walk this narrow road. Jesus says, okay, there's going to be people standing at the gate going, oh, no, you've got to go to the wide gate. Go to the wide gate. That's the better road. That's the better road. Brother, sister, go to the wide gate. And he said, they'll look like you, but inside they're not like you. And you'll know them because of the fruit they produce. So let me say two things. By the way, be careful what you're watching online. You know, anybody can get a YouTube channel. Anybody can create a blog. Anybody can do a video log. Anybody can make a website and say all kinds of stuff. Just don't absorb it. Second Corinthians we have that verse? Yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Satan himself appears in this world and influences this world by appearing like a sheep. Like he's one of us. He's a follower of Jesus. Satan doesn't get much traction if he showed his true colors. He gets a lot of traction by being nice and kind. But he has an end to it. I'm not saying don't glean from the internet. I'm saying be careful what you're reading. Check it out with scriptures. Other people. Another thing I want to say is be careful of what you're believing about what people say Christianity is. There's a, uh, a new movement. It's, not, it's old, but it's new. <laughs> I understand why Solomon says, is there anything new under the sun? Because it, it's called progressive Christianity. Doesn't it sound great? Progressive Christianity. And adherence to progressive Christianity say that we, we question tradition. And we care for the poor and the oppressed. And we believe in diversity, engaging in diversity. And we believe in social justice. And we believe in stewarding the earth. All those values are biblical values. Every one of them. All of them were practiced by Jesus. All of them have been, when the church is at its best, which is far more than people think, when it's at its best, all of those values are practiced in the church. The church has been the most diverse organization in 2,000 years. Rich, poor, all kinds of people, all kinds of color have always been part of the church. The culture around it didn't agree with it, but the church, 
The church has always cared for the poor. Some of the stories that you get, no, no organization has cared for more people than the church in this world. Every major hospital in the world is named after who? Some saint somebody. Women's suffrage, the right to vote, pushed by Christians. Slavery, freed by Christians. They, they've, they've been the ones doing all, the church has always done this kind of work. Always. You want to know more detail? Jesus skeptic. Get that book. Jesus skeptic. Guy was driving by. He's a journalist. Driving by and he's going, now St. Peter's Hospital or something. And he goes, why are all the hospitals always named after somebody from Christianity? So as a non-Christian, he dug into it. And this book is incredible. No organization No person has done more for mankind and womankind than Jesus and the church. Not letting them steal our history from us. Now, all those progressive Christianity, all those values, all of them are Christian. But here's the difference. The application to living it out, the lifestyle. Remember what Jesus said about the fruit and the trees? Affirming of LGBTQT lifestyle. Affirming of trans beliefs and practices. Rejecting an idea of such a thing as judgment or hell. And believing in universalism, which is an age-old belief, that all people will make it. You don't need to preach Jesus. Everybody's going to get in. The values are the same. The application, the lifestyle is very different. I was surprised to find that one of the books that progressive Christianity is a go-to is Rob Bell's book, Love Wins. Now, (laughs) Rob Bell is not a new voice in Christianity. When 25 years ago, he was a voice along with some others, uh, Brian McLaren and some others, and they were pushing for the thing they called the emergent church. But they were highly, they had a little spurt into the, the limelight, but because their teachings were so heretical and so anti-scripture, they got kind of pushed to the wayside because they weren't aligned with scripture. And now, 25 years later, poop, he's back. Which reminds me, not only this idea about false prophets, but Jesus, look what he says next. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody goes, oh, Lord, I believe in Jesus. I'm with Jesus. I believe in the Bible. Not everybody that says that will enter the kingdom. But only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Only the ones willing to walk the narrow road. Only the ones that are living out obedience in their life belong to me. And look at what he says. Many will say to me on that day, the day that he judges all people, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did you in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Now they're not saying that because um, 
that those are marks of obviously somebody who is an unbeliever. They were the marks of the church and the early church. That was the kind of ministry, the spectacular. There were some people who were gifted to prophesy, some who were gifted to cast out demons, some who were gifted to do miracles. They were, that's the way the church worked. That's how you knew, oh, this person must be a follower of Jesus because where would they get the supernatural power to do those kinds of work? And Jesus said, hey, that doesn't mean you're mine. I've always asked that question. How could you say that? How, how in the world could these people do those kinds of works and not be yours? Because there's more than one supernatural power in this world, right? There's God. There's Satan. And he's an angel of light. So he's not going to empower his people that he wants to use to deceive others to be overly evil. He got other people for that. He has other people for that. He's going to empower them to what? Do supernatural works that make it seem like they must be one of the sheep. And Jesus says, by the way, I want you to, I'm going to say plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Even though they did these supernatural works because Jesus is saying... The point isn't what you do. The point is what you do. The point is, have you obeyed me? Have you walked the narrow road of obedience in a world and in a culture that fights against it and makes it uncomfortable and makes you, puts you in places where it's awkward and puts you in places that are painful and makes you make decisions where you have to choose whether to love yourself or love me, love the world or love me, obey what the culture around you is saying or obey me. Jesus says, walk that road. And those of you that have walked in obedience... I know you belong to me. Because you never would unless you love me. He makes it disarmingly simple. Just obey me. Just obey me. Now every one of us here, I'm going to guess if you're a follower of Jesus, because some of you may not be. You got up today or you're going to face something today or tomorrow where you're going to make a choice. Because that's the way discipleship works. It's a day after day after day existence. And Jesus is calling you to the path of obedience. If you love me, he said, you will obey me. John 14. I know you're my disciple because you obey me. Matthew 7. And so now obey me. When it comes to sex, when it comes to money, when it comes to values, when it comes to your beliefs, when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to love, when it comes to hate, when it comes to anything, obey me. Obey me. And they will know you're my disciples and you will be salt and light in your world. It's disarmingly simple. But how do I know I can trust Jesus and his view of the future? I mean, my world says, yeah, it's pretty narrow. And I'm not even sure there's a heaven or hell. 
No. None of us is really going to know by experience until we get there, are we? None of us ever knows the future. We have people that tell us what the future's like and what it's going to be like and what we should expect. But how do we know we can trust them? I'm building my life here. This is my eternity. Good question. Well, I've chosen to trust the one who predicted ahead of time that he would die on the cross and then raise from the dead and his life would be a sacrifice for me and who now reigns in heaven. I'm trusting that the one who died for me and rose for me, that he's a pretty good bet. I mean, if you can predict your life, death and resurrection and pull it off, I think you qualify to be trusted. And so I want us to end this service in communion. Because we are going to remember what our faith is based on. It's not based upon the wisdom of your pastor. It's not based upon, you know, how good you are or I am. It's based upon Jesus who died for us, who gave his life in love for us, and who rose from the dead to prove that his death was sufficient. And we are going to celebrate communion and remember that gift. Would you bow your head just for a few moments? Uh, Jesus, you, yeah, you call us to trust you and walk a narrow road. And I get tired of walking it sometimes, Lord. And I fail, give in to fear peer pressure, anxiety. Sometimes my own pleasures lead me away from the narrow road onto the wide road. And so I pray, I I believe my brothers and sisters probably have the same struggles, but we believe that this road, this calling is based out of your love and out of your lordship. Your love that sacrificed yourself for us and the lordship that you are God over all creation, God over death, God over me. And now we come to remember that in our communion. Remember you.